0: Welcome to Radio Maria England for our Science and Faith program, where we will be exploring the relationship between science and faith from a Christian perspective. This is Marta speaking.
1: And this is Shimon speaking. Uh, we are your presenters uh, for the program. And today we would like to welcome you to the episode on cosmology from Alpha to Omega. Uh, we invited three speakers. We have them here in the studio with us. Professor Paul Schellert, Dr. Paolo Baltrame and Father Robert Veril. And we'll be discussing science behind the beginning of the universe, and the nature of the universe, and then we'll try to tackle some more philosophical and, and theological questions that can re- re- relate to that.
0: Nice to see you, Shimon. Professor Paul Schellert is director of the Stephen Hawking Center for Theoretical Cosmology and professor of cosmology at the Department of Applied Mathematics and Theoretical Physics in the University of Cambridge. Professor Shellard completed a science degree at the University of Sydney, and then his PhD in Cambridge under the supervision of Professor Stephen Hawking. In 1985, he was awarded a research fellowship at Trinity College, Cambridge, and then in 1987, undertook a postdoctoral fellowship at MIT. He returned to Cambridge in 1990. Professor Shellard, uh, happy to have you with us. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about your research interests, perhaps, where you're working at the moment?
2: Well, thanks very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, I work in general on advancing the confrontation between mathematical theories of our universe and uh, new observations. So this is where the excitement is happening in uh, cosmology at the moment, where real progress is being made. And because cosmology is now precision science, and so with new surveys of galaxies and uh, observations of the cosmic microwave background. I've been particularly uh, involved in the Planck satellite uh, experiment and uh, looking at the statistics of the cosmic microwave background to see if we can learn something about the very early universe. And I'm sure we'll talk at some stage about inflation and the, the ideas about quantum mechanics where all the structure in the universe came from. And so we've been trying to constrain these sort of models and study them in detail. So those are my interests, trying to probe uh, the first few nanoseconds of our universe.
0: Looking forward to unpacking all of that.
1: It's incredible and we can actually look at this. It's mind-blowing if you think about it. OK, our second speaker for today is uh, Dr. Uh, Paolo Beltrame. Um, Paolo Beltrame is a Jesuit brother and a physicist. Uh, so he has a degree in philosophy and a PhD in particle physics. Before joining the Jesuit order, um, Pablo worked in many places, uh, including CERN, the Wiesman Institute of Science, UCLA, and the University of Edinburgh, where he worked as, an, worked as an academic at the physics and astronomy department. At the moment, um, Pablo is studying theology at the Centre Sèvres in Paris, and he's also a visiting researcher at the UCL within the dark matter group. Very interesting name, I thought. <laughs> Uh, Pablo, um, Jesuits are well known for the active engagement in education and research and you're coming from a scientific background. Is this something that has attracted you to this order specifically?
3: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, It's an excellent question. I will try to keep it short. I think that what is attracting me within the Jesuit life is the freedom of thinking, the aspect of intelligent faith, uh, faith requires intelligence, and intelligence without faith is blind. And also the passions and the curiosity of finding God in everything. We are curious of the world, arts, literature, science, because we think, we are convinced that God is in there. That's mostly what I can say for the moment. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Paolo. Thank you for, for being here with us.
0: That was some top-notch French there, Simon. Centre-Servé, is
1: it? I lived in France for a little bit, I did my Master's in France.
0: (laughs) Oh, there we go, thanks for that, it's very, gives colour to the show, all the languages. Uh, Next up we've got Father Robert, Father Robert is a Dominican friar who is currently acting Catholic chaplain for the University of Cambridge at Fisher House. Before joining the order, he obtained a PhD in mathematics from the University of Cambridge, and worked as a software engineer. He's now working on his PhD in philosophy, which is on quantum physics and common sense, or as he describes it, in other words, what St. Thomas Aquinas would make of quantum physics. I think we can all agree that quantum physics and Thomas Aquinas would definitely need a radio show of its own, or at least a series. Father Robert, have you come up with a way of linking Thomas Aquinas and software engineering?
4: Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here. St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, software engineering are two great passions of mine. So I have uh, managed to maintain my interest in software engineering since I entered religious life. And a few years ago, I wrote a software application for searching through the works of St. Thomas Aquinas called St. Thomas Search Engine. And uh, you can do things like proximity word searches. So if you kind of vaguely heard of some... Quotation of Aquinas. Aquinas said something about grace and nature. You can find out all the places where Aquinas says these two words uh, in proximity to one another. So you can find out what what, what St Thomas has to say about these uh, theological concepts. So just something that I've managed to to, to keep up over the years is as a Dominican friar. So.
1: I'm really curious what Thomas Aquinas would think about it, you know, if he could be here with us and, like, (laughs) seeing all of this that's happening with his work and, you know, all the apps and softwares and everything. It's uh, incredible.
0: (laughs) Right. It seems like we've got quite the panel today and I think we should just get straight into it. The part that I dread the most, but I'm also the most fascinated about, which is the physics themselves. So. Um, I'm a biological, uh, sorry, med- biomedical scientist, more biological as well. You could say. Um, so there's going to be a lot of concepts that are my clarification for, and I'm sure that our listeners would be quite thankful that I'm here to ask the silly questions. But let's get straight into the physics. And I think a term that most people would actually recognise, whether they've heard it on the radio, podcasts, at school, maybe. So most of us have heard of the Big Bang. Could you say a little bit about what we mean by the Big Bang and perhaps something about the scientists behind this theory? If Professor Schellert would like to start us off?
2: Well, uh, okay. Um, Well, the Big Bang theory says that about 14 billion years ago, there was a gigantic explosion in which every particle in the universe flew apart from every other particle. And uh, this fireball cooled down as the universe diluted and expanded. And uh, from this hot early plasma, or soup, uh, eventually it became transparent to light. And at which point, a few hundred thousand years after the Big Bang, uh, a, a background of relic radiation was released. And this, is, the, this is, is something we can detect today as microwaves. So at this point, the universe went uh, quite dark. But tiny ripples were still there, and they began to cluster together gravitationally. And uh, galaxies formed, and gas clouds collapsed uh, into stars. And a few hundred million years then, the universe lit up again. And it gradually transformed itself into the the large-scale structures that uh, we we observe today around us. And it's still expanding, and in fact it's uh, strangely actually accelerating the expansion is uh, speeding up from this uh, initial explosion. And this is uh, called the Big Bang Theory. And uh, it's a model of the universe, which is now so well attested that it's called the Standard Cosmology. It's built on four uh, very solid observational pillars. And more recently, there's been some uh, additional gr- ingredients added to it, which is this very early phase called inflation. That's the idea that was a very rapid expansion in the in the first few fractions of a nanosecond. And during this time, microscopic quantum effects were uh, imprinted as ripples in the fabric of space and time, and these later grew to become the galaxies we see around us now. So this, this sort of development is a, dramatic extrapolation into the very early universe. And so that's the Big Bang theory as we understand it now. That's the the part for which we have very good observational evidence.
3: Let me add something. Well, thank you so much for the summary and visions of the Big Bang theory. Um, Talking about the inflations, one question we might have was the inflation before or after the Big Bang. I might tell you my uh, vision of it, I would prefer inflation was before the big Bang even if not very long very uh, infinite fraction of a seconds uh, because I like the God kind of intervene in nature in a silent way so a God who's not making a big boom how we can call it big bang but we very silently expand the universe obviously when don't need to go into the um, concordism, that we need to find theoretical and physical model according to the scriptures, but it's nice that we, as human beings, we can see what we might find of God in everything that we experience.
0: I'm interested about people. I'm a people's person, so I want to know about the scientists behind this theory.
2: Yes, well, uh, on a on a program uh, on a radio, uh, a Roman Catholic radio station, it's uh, it's nice to know that the 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 originator of the Big Bang theory w- was actually a Roman Catholic priest called George Lemaître, and um, he he uh, was originally an engineer, and uh, after the First World War. He took holy orders and uh, he, he's, he w- went on to study astrophysics and science. And in fact, he, he came to Cambridge for a year, and, uh, which he spent at St. Edmund's College. And during this time, he worked with Arthur Eddington and he learned about Einstein's theory of relativity. And then he went off to the US to do a PhD at MIT and he returned as a professor to Leuven University in near Brussels. And uh, in 1927, he wrote one of the most important papers in the history of cosmology. And Lemaitre was the first person to derive and explain the physical concept of uh, an expanding universe. And uh, he proposed Hubble's law and he estimated Hubble's constant. Uh, this is two years before Hubble worked on this subject. And uh, so this is uh, the the well-known principle that um, important discoveries in science are never named after their originators. Uh, But then he followed this up in 1931 with uh, the first proposal of the Hot Big Bang model, uh, which at that time he called the primeval atom, the the idea of a primordial um, fireball. And then he came up with many other important ideas, including the idea of the quantum origin of the universe, and um, its acceleration and, uh, you know, this idea of cosmological constant, which is a dark energy which is driving the universe, uh, which has been confirmed more recently. So, so, you know, many of the most important concepts in, in, theoret- in theoretical cosmology he came up with, and indeed he came up with, uh, observational evidence using Hubble's uh, data before Hubble realized uh, w- what it meant. Um, Sorry so to interrupt
0: you there, but I just—you've yeah. mentioned the Hubble constant. I've—I've I've got no clue what that is. Could you—could you explain that for us?
2: All oh, right. Yes. Yes. Hubble's law is the idea that um, it's a description of how things are expanding in the universe. So every—every every galaxy is moving apart from every other galaxy, and Hubble's law just tells you the rate at which they're moving. Okay. So how the distance uh, between galaxies is growing and uh, Hubble's constant is that constant of proportionality. It's telling you the rate of expansion of the universe. And uh, so Lemaitre was the first to introduce these concepts and actually to estimate Hubble's constant. Um, So the the idea of an expanding universe was really quite a radical one at that time because if you turn an expanding universe backwards in time, everything draws together. And at some point, they all collide in, in, into a, um, a big singularity, if you like, where you get infinite density. And that's the beginning of the universe. That's the Big Bang theory at the, at the start of everything. So there's a there's the beginning of time. Now, this, this wasn't a popular idea because every previous universe that had been proposed, the Ptolemaic universe, Copernican universe, Newtonian universe, all avoided the problem of the beginning of time. And even Einstein, when he tried to develop cosmology from his own theory of general relativity, he proposed a static universe. He introduced the cosmological constant to to balance forces. And um, Lemaitre showed that this, this idea was wrong, it was unstable, and that the only way to get a viable universe in general relativity was to have an expanding one or a contracting one, and all the evidence pointed towards an expanding one. So there was a lot of opposition to this idea of uh, a beginning in time, and in fact, uh, Einstein said to Lemaitre, your, your work is mathematically correct, but your physics is abominable. And uh, he, he, um, you know, he accused him of defending church dogmas and uh, of, of introducing creationism. And Eddington, who um, you know, taught um, Lemaitre, uh, said the beginning in time is abominable. Throughout all this, um, Lemaitre n- never claimed anything about the fact that this scientific theory might might have been compatible with his theological beliefs or whatever. He always wanted his theory to be judged on its scientific merits, and uh, and nevertheless, I think I think the the fact that he the fact of his faith meant that he was open to these sort of Revolutionary ideas that maybe the universe didn't exist forever. Maybe there was a beginning in time. Maybe maybe we could we could um, I- entertain this idea. And indeed, after a while, uh, Einstein became reconciled to the idea of a, an expanding universe and a beginning in time. And, and he went on a lecture tour with Lemaitre around America in 1933. And uh, he, he at one stage he after a talk at Caltech he said of Lemaitre's lecture, "This is the most beautiful." And satisfactory explanation of creation to which I've ever listened. But uh, still, um, after that, it wasn't until 1965 that the Big Bang Theory really became established. Uh, it was still very popular to consider bouncing universes, steady-state theories, uh, all these ideas that avoided a beginning in time. So it was quite a, a revolution uh, that, that he introduced.
1: I think it's an excellent example of how faith can kind of help in a way in the scientific discovery. It makes it kind of open to certain other ideas that maybe have not been really considered before. So talking about this beginning of the universe, it seems like uh, it's a a widely accepted uh, idea, as you mentioned, the standard cosmological um, model. But last year's Nobel Prize winner, uh, Professor Roger uh, Penrose, seems to suggest that we might be living in a cyclic universe. So it looks like there are some other ideas that are out there. I'm curious how popular these are within the scientific community in general.
2: Well, as I said, this uh, beginning of time is is a sort of metaphysical mystery that uh, confronts (laughs) cosmology. And it's a sort of gaping hole in our knowledge, this problem of the singularity, because the singularity is where, you know, you get infinite density, and we, we know that the laws of physics break down. So there's this sort of fundamental mystery and gap in our understanding. Now, the funny thing about Roger Penrose is that he also worked with Stephen Hawking, and Stephen Hawking's earliest work in the, in his PhD work was largely focused on whether There was a big bang in general relativity. So Stephen worked on theorems that prove that uh, you you had to have this beginning in time, this singularity, the start of the universe. And uh, eventually, Roger Penrose was focused on proving the singularity in black holes when matter collapsed, that you had to get a black hole. And so they worked together and they turned Rogers' ideas around and, and applied them to the beginning of the universe. And they were able to come up with these Hawking-Penrose theorems, which said that if general relativity is right, that's Einstein's theory is correct, and under reasonable assumptions about the matter which is in the universe, then there had to be a beginning in time. And, you know, they, so, so they, they created a conundrum for physics, you know, because they'd proved it mathematically. And at the same time, around about that time, of course, the cosmic microwave background was discovered, and this is the relic radiation which shows that there was a big fireball at the beginning of the universe. So, so they created this conundrum, and the irony is, then they both spent considerable time trying to solve it, trying to avoid this beginning in time. So Stephen did it by trying to close off the universe uh, with his no boundary proposal for the quantum origin of the universe, and Roger Penrose. Um, with whom I think it's fair to say Stephen would have shared the Nobel Prize were he still alive for, for, for all his work on black holes. So Roger Penrose has come up with the idea that, uh, that we can make a cyclic universe and join one period of evolution to another. Now this, this idea is not widely accepted in the community. For two reasons, one is that uh, it requires uh, you know a mathematical patching together of things which uh, nobody's certain you can actually do. And secondly, there's a certain question mark about the observational evidence for this. So it's not an idea that we, we have to be too worried about it at the moment. But it's interesting to see the, the, um, the amount of effort that goes into uh, avoiding this problem you know this singularity problem which confronts us in cosmology
0: yeah. judging by uh, thank you for so, so much for that um, a lot to unpack there judging by brother paolo's phase and knowing him i think he might have something to say about this as
3: well uh, obviously i was listening very carefully and very excited by the words of professor Schellert was very exciting. And I think that this approach of being fascinated should be kept in our life. Georges Lemaitre, he was saying, there are two ways to reach the truth. One is given by religion, faith, and the other one is given by science. So we are invited to keep both of them. And I think that, again, this idea, coming back to the ideas of Penrose, is also fascinating from my point of view in his conception of time and eternity. Well, obviously he was putting this in a physics way, considering the vibration of the quantum fluctuation. I won't go into the details of it, but it's interesting because it seems that the universe starts in a status of eternity and will finish with a status of eternity. And I find it very, very interesting, very curious, and is worth to be explored more.
1: Okay.
0: Any questions, Shimon?
1: <laughs> yes, I've got loads of questions. I have to kind of choose my favorite ones. But talking about the, the universe in general, uh, so we talked about the beginning, and then there are some kind of ideas that you know it might be cyclical, eternal. But there are also some other concepts that uh, we are actually not living in in one universe, but there's there's this kind of uh, collection of universes and and, and we actually live in a massive universe. Uh, I wonder where this idea is is coming from and um, what does it actually mean? If you can maybe, for Pablo or Robert, if you could give some thoughts on that start with?
3: Well, let me say one thing. I think that the multiverse theory or model is very important, showing two aspects. I think one is coming from string theory that basically is proposing several solutions for several and many possible universes, roughly 10 to the 500. is a quite large number. You have one and 500 zero after it. And the other point is trying to explain why the laws of physics seem to be so well-tuned to permit life to be here, in this universe. So this might sound a kind of philosophical problem, philosophical questions, but I think that we are nowadays approaching with science many of philosophical questions that belong to philosophy in the past, and obviously, science is not giving a definite answer, but is proposing few models. So the possibility of several multiverses to have many universes, for me, as a Christian, is telling me that God is way bigger than what we were used to think of. is much larger in a sense that he has a much greater imagination of and creativity of what we were thinking in the past. In the past, we were thinking the earth at the center of the universe then we move we put the sun at the center of it then we were thinking oh there is only one galaxy now we know that we are in a universe with under of billions of galaxies is enormous and maybe this is not the only universe that we have so god is not stepping back but is telling us look you have so much to discover and so much to appreciate of the creation of what i was doing let me conclude there was a saying within the jewish community i was working in israel for one year and they were telling me at the end of your life that will come when it will come god will ask you only one question do you enjoy my creation and i think that physics and religion also is putting us in a situation to enjoy the creation that god made for us
0: i think We've talked about so many theories. And I was, to be honest, Shimon and everyone, I was a bit scared. I was, oh, physicists, it's going to be lots of maths and really incomprehensible terms. But actually, I'm just astounded. You speak about creation and about your work and your research so beautifully. It's such a beautiful narrative and you show such great reverence for God's creation. I'm honestly just fascinated by everything you've said
1: What do you think the relationship between the Big Bang, the beginning of the universe, what relationship that might be with the existence of God? What kind of questions around the idea of God can prompt?
4: Well, I mean, I think that in a way it's... Yeah, sort of, um, sort of theologically neutral. The Big Bang theory itself, because there's there's actually two notions of creation that we need to distinguish between. And so there's creation as something that is, uh, you know, doctrine of beginning in time. So there's that that there was a, a finite time, you know, however, maybe 14 billion years ago when creation came into being. So there's that side of things, and then there's also the idea of creation as God holding everything in existence. So if God didn't continually keep everything in existence, then we would just disappear into absolutely nothing. This is what creation from nothing is. We don't exist according to our own nature, but rather God holds us in existence. And so whether or not the the universe has a beginning in time, that doesn't affect the the notion of, of creation as God holding us in existence. And so and so we can still believe in God, whether or not creation had time had a beginning. But on the other hand, there could be a problem if you have an understanding of a universe, which is not just a universe that was c- cyclical in nature. So that could be pr- problematic for christianity and and you and you tend to think that if it had an infinite time in the past then it would just go round and round in cycles and so i mean maybe it doesn't need to be that way but i think if there's a if it's a cyclical universe then that would be problematic for christian uh, christianity because we believe in this sort of drama of salvation history that there was a, a fall and there's redemption and there's a this pivotal point in human history where the incarnate word became, the word of God became incarnate and dwelt among us. So this is this unique point in history, whereas if and, and then we're 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 looking forward to, to the resurrection of the dead. So there's a kind of a, there's a a Christianity is sort of is non cyclical in nature, what we believe has been revealed to us. So if someone says that it has to be cyclical, then this is this would be uh, not it would be contrary to to our Christian faith. But on the other hand, you've got people. People like Saint Thomas Aquinas, who says that proving it's impossible to prove either way using uh, natural reason, whether the universe has a beginning or doesn't have a beginning. So this is a you. Um, so any and in, in his um, so Saint Thomas Aquinas, he was a 13th century uh, philosopher and theologian, and you know he considered uh, his he was a great um, promoter of Aristotle's uh, philosophy of nature, which was recently discovered, although Aristotle himself believed in an eternal universe. And so Aquinas was trying to sort of almost Christianize Aristotle by showing that, well, Although Aristotle tried to assume that there's a, a, a cyclical universe, that it's not actually necessary to being an Aristotelian doesn't mean that you have to commit yourself to a, a cyclical universe. And there's in fact no proof. There can be no proof that the that the universe had a beginning or that the universe is infinite. So, so, so we we can. You know, you know we are allowed to believe that um, revelation in in revelation that that the universe had a beginning, but we uh, we shouldn't we should be skeptical of people who say that they proved that the universe has a beginning or that they proved that the universe is eternal. I
0: just actually, I had a question you were talking about at the beginning and the word incarnate. And I was just thinking the first book we've got in the Bible is is Genesis. This might be a bit of a challenging question, but when you look at Genesis chapter one, verse four and verse three says, then God said, let there be light and there was light. Do you think it is dangerous to draw parallels between Genesis, the story it tells and the beginning of the universe or a multiverse theory or a continuous universe or an eternal universe?
4: Well, I think we do certainly have to be uh, careful. I mean, so there's a a passage where where St. Augustine talks about the literal meaning of Genesis, and he's very careful to say, you know, well that we need to interpret scripture in a way that isn't going to be so sort of contradict you know things that are kind of obvious to um, um, sort of the gentile thinkers so and it, cause it can be cause you know great scandal if we say something about draw some kind of scientific conclusion just by reading genesis which all the experts in in, in the secular world know to be, to be false. So this is cause a you know it can be a scandal if if we are misreading things in in Genesis. But on the other hand, I think you know Genesis it's a, a you know a fascinating creation narrative. And well, things like you know the, the you know the first thing that God says, "Let there be light." I mean, I, I think that is kind of is is fascinating. Uh, in that, well, both like both physicists are fascinated with light, and theologians are fascinated with light. And I think when we talk about light, although we are talking about different things to some extent, we are there. There can be sort of some kind of dialogue. I think we can kind enrich each other's uh, understanding of light. The kind of the many varied ways in which we talk about light, and and uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with things like the role that light plays in decoherence theory and and giving us a, a kind of a world that makes sense. So it is. It is a kind of a, a fascinating area to have have these dialogues about what physicists say about light and what uh, theologians say about light. And and it's really like like the beauty of light. I think light is you know people kind of you know when you talk about artists, they'll see you know see how they use the light. And then in physics, you have you know these beautiful theories like uh, you know uh, Maxwell's theory of electromagnetism, where you see light as kind of unifying these two, might seem entirely different physical principles of electricity and magnetism. They're united in these two different, in in light, so the the electromagnetism, and then you've got sort of a gauge theory and and how um, thinking of light as gauge bosons. It's all kind of technical terms, but it's kind of very, very beautiful. And so you see light is beautiful on so many levels just to the the lay person and to to, to, to the physicist and to the theologian. So.
0: I think I think we've been taking light for granted all along. <laughs> I think I won't be able to look at light the same way now, definitely, for sure.
4: I would like to touch again on the
1: subject of, of multiverse. We, we talked about it in our first uh, part. And uh, Paolo, you, you mentioned the uh, fine-tuning, right? That we, uh, we live in the universe, that all the constants kind of allow for the existence of, of life and the forms, life forms, that we currently have. And I wonder if you take into account this multiverse hypothesis. Uh, It seems to me that it's a kind of like a counter argument against uh, the fine-tuning, because if there are other laws in other universes, then of course, we are finding ourselves in the one that actually has these constants that allow for for life, right? Um, What do you say to that?
3: It's a very interesting topic and very interesting question. First of all, this is the first thing I will say. The second point that, well, multiverses has been introduced, one of the reasons why that was introduced, to trying to explain why this universe has this law that are very improbable, very unlikely. So if you multiply the possibilities, the chances that you might have, then you might end up with one with a good set of physics laws. Fine. Though this points might put us in a, a very privileged condition so through the multiverse model or idea is not a theory um, you might find out that you go back to be like a, um, at the center of this universe in which we are very privileged So you want to remove the possibility to be in a Ptolemaic situation and then you go back to be in a Ptolemaic model again. Sorry, what does this mean,
1: Ptolemaic?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that means that the Earth is at the center of the universe, like the very old cosmology. So all the process of cosmology was kind of reducing the importance of human beings to make us more and more humble. That's fine. Perfect. But then you create all these kind of multiverses and then you put this particular universe at the center of all the universe because it's the only one that, as far as we know, can host life because the physics laws are so well fine-tuned to have life in here. So you go back to the point which you wanted to remove. So this is one of the risks. Another point is slightly different. I would be kind of skeptical to uh, try to Christianize or to baptize physics theories. Physics theories, cosmological theories, they come out as they are. And that was one of the main worries of Georges Lemaitre. He wanted to prove he was right in a physics domain, not because of the dogma of creation. He said, well, this is the physics theory. And he was very careful in not binding God together with a physical model. And he will say God is much wider and much wiser than a physics theory. So saying that, I don't see, as Father Robert was saying before, I I wouldn't see any contradiction in possible multiverses, whether this will be maybe never proved right or wrong, or in other possible physical models. Because I think that we need to look for the truth, whatever it is, and God cannot contradict himself and God is creating this world and is keeping this universe, or the universes, in being.
2: Yes, can can I follow up on that a little bit about Lemaître and and, um, uh, you're trying to separate um, this, tying together a particular theory with theology too closely, I mean, at, at one stage, I think it was Pope Pius XII uh, came out with a speech where he said that um, he you know he he tr- began to tie t- traditional Catholic teaching about the creation of the universe from nothing to the Big Bang theory. And um, and the um, well I have to be careful how I speak here on Radio Maria, but he felt this was perhaps that, a um, um, a misjudgment. And uh, he 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 was brave enough to to endeavour to, um, shall I say, c- correct the Pope if that's p- possible on these sort of scientific issues. I mean, he he became the the president of the Pontifical Academy um, of Sciences, and uh, because he felt that that um, one shouldn't one shouldn't judge scientific theories on their philosophical or theological implications, one should keep science to science and, 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 and check things on their scientific merits alone. And I, I think that's a very welcome lesson that we should t- take from history. And uh, I- indeed, um, you know, G- Galileo provides us with other examples of this. But, but getting back to the multiverse, I think that's a very interesting question, because the, the, the multiverse is a hypothesis that people come up with to solve this problem that Brother Paul Paolo's been telling us about, the, which is sometimes called the anthropic principle. We, we see that the universe around us is actually very special. There are all sorts of coincidences and fine-tunings which allow for the existence of life. And so this is a, an, another central mystery we, we are confronted with about our universe, like, like its origin. And so the solution is supposedly the multiverse. And and it's you know it's a reasonable idea and it's, it's a nice hypothesis, but it's it's not in any sense scientifically proven. It's built on the idea of string theory and a sort of landscape of possibilities out there. Um, there there's there's um, you know, string theory is a great idea theoretically, but but it's it's uh, not scientifically verified or tested. Um, there, there's very little hope of ever. Um, proving the, that there is a multiverse. It's beyond the causal horizon. We can't by definition see a multiverse easily unless we see some evidence of it from the past. And so th- th- there's no such evidence at the moment. So this this is metacosmology. The multiverse is nice hypothesis, but, but really we're confronted with unknowns. Th- these are known unknowns about the origin of our universe. And so the scientific reductionist who says i have an explanation of everything in our universe and and i know there's no god and and you know everything's a closed circle and my understanding is complete well it, that's that's not strictly correct at all there are all sorts of unknowns and mysteries that cosmology confronts us with and that's the just the point i want to make sometimes the multiverse is put in juxtaposition to God, as, as if the multiverse explains why everything's so so beautifully fine-tuned in our universe, and therefore we don't need God. But, you know, as uh, I think uh, Father Robert was telling us, that, that that's again a category error to, 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 to put these scientific ideas against the sort of fundamental idea of, of a God who creates the universe and sustains the laws of physics that we see. Um, I I think a multiverse is uh, actually theologically neutral. Um, You you know, God is big enough to be transcendent above a huge universe as it is. So God can be transcendent above uh, multiple universes as well. So, I think Professor the problem... Shellard, yeah. actually
0: you've talked about, sorry to interrupt you, but you've talked about the unknowns and I was wondering on a personal level, what do the unknowns bring up for you? What kind of feelings? Are you excited about the unknowns? Are you kind of scared, maybe apprehensive about all of those unknowns?
2: Well, I, I think it makes the subject tremendously exciting because it, it, cosmology was, was was sort of a very speculative subject when I was a PhD student. And it's now become a precision science in the last 20 years. And the, the transition was the, the WMAP satellite, which suddenly measured all the cosmological parameters to reasonable precision. But the exciting thing about cosmology is that there are almost as many unknown things as there are known now. I mean, we we, we know that we know about 5% of the content of the universe is ordinary matter we don't know about the other 95% we don't know what the dark matter is we don't know what the dark energy is we don't know how how our universe came into being we're, we're trying to to probe earlier and earlier times and and we've got new discoveries like the the discovery of gravitational waves, which, which might be the ultimate probe of cosmology. We might be able to, to see pa- way past the cosmic microwave background to the earliest moments of the universe. So it's, it's one of the, the, the most rapidly advancing areas in the physical sciences. So it, it's very exciting, whatever your theological or philosophical worldview is. There we are.
0: So I think to wrap up this section of theology, every good story needs an end. I mean, at least that's what I believe. I like books that have a proper end. And of course, we have to talk about the end of this universe, end of the world. What can science tell us about how the universe will end? And is modern cosmology the the ultimate hope for humanity?
2: Well, um, I I can endeavour to extrapolate a little into the future. Um, It's a very uncertain thing to do. And again, uh, one has to be very careful with it because there's an element of metacosmology in it, because things might change as the universe evolves into the future. But it it looks like rather a bleak bleak future where our universe is accelerating. Um, All the galaxies that we see at the moment, except Andromeda, will disappear across the cosmological horizon in a few billion years. And uh, we, we will merge, the Milky Way will merge with our nearest galaxy, Andromeda, and we'll have one galaxy um, in, in a vast emptiness. Eventually the stars will burn out and die down. There'll just be black holes and particles and emptiness and it'll just run out of energy. It's called the, the heat death of the universe. So that's a rather bleak prospect for the future, but it's many billions of years off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to alarm any children or those listening, but but it, it's not a universe which within it contains, you know, ultimate hope and ultimate purpose and ultimate meaning. We, we, we have to somehow transcend this universe and look for meaning beyond it. I, I don't know uh, my theological colleagues here can take up the discussion from this point. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, I guess I could add, add a few words here. I and mean, I think uh, something we, in faith, we believe there's going to be some kind of radical change so i think with, with these cosmological theories these mathematical theories they're kind of they're very beautiful theories and we want but there must be something more to these theories and we want to kind of say that there's something more without kind of making like throwing a spanner in the works and making it all kind of making god's creation seem somehow ugly by suddenly um you know it's like the, the, like the, uh, creating just sort of just starting from scratch again or something just throwing it all away so so there's kind of there is a kind of mystery to how you know how we can see recognize god's creation as as something beautiful but then there's something that's going to transcend what we see around us and so we don't know the answers but in in faith we believe that there will be an answer that there is going to be some kind of radical change which we which is in some way, you know, related to what's going on now, that, that, that we are somehow connected with our eternal uh, destiny, but we can't find <laughs> uh, that, that hope just by looking at the... doing cosmology. Um, we, we can only uh, look, look in faith to uh, our sort of uh,
3: eternal destiny. And if, as we might be thinking that the beginning of the universe was in contradiction with the Bible, in a sense, with the book of Genesis, we might be also thinking that the end of the universe is in contradiction with the book of Revelation. But we need to keep in mind that the apocalypse or the book of Revelation is not just telling us the history that will come in the future, but we need to distinguish two categories of time. One is the chronos, time like we experiencing here and now. And the other time is a kairos time that we live internally, within ourselves, And I think that the book of Revelation is mostly speaking about the kairos, that is the experience of time that we live together with Christ. So it's not telling us in 24 years you will be doing this or that. In I don't know how many billions of years the universe will become thermal death. No, it's telling us you can live the eschatological time, the kairos, so the relationships with Christ already here and now. And this will bring you life and will bring you revelation. So also in the conclusion part of the scriptures, there is no conflict with the cosmological model and the actual history of the universe.
1: Thank you for this explanation. It's, it's really fascinating. And uh, I'm really glad that we had a chance to talk about so many different things today. We, we covered the science, the beginning of the universe, the, uh, the alternative ideas. We talked about the theology and, 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 and philosophy that stems from these. It's, um, it's really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for being here with us and uh, uh, just to kind of end the episode, we would like to uh, ask you some questions uh, about maybe your kind of personal uh, experience. Uh, I wonder how your study of, of cosmology, or in case of uh, Father Robert Viril's study of particle uh, physics and, and quantum, quantum mechanics, how, does your, how did your study in science influence your faith? Or maybe the other way around, was it an interaction that your faith may be fed into your scientific inquiry about, about the universe, Father Robert?
4: Yeah, well, certainly uh, yeah, my faith has had a great impact on how I've seen science. So I think having faith, it, it kind of gives you the sort of the confidence to explore the, the physical world in a way well, that you know, central to our faith is that the incarnate word, uh, the word of God became incarnate. And so, you know, God takes the physical world very seriously, and so I think we should take the physical world seriously as well, and uh, seriously as well, and really see that creation is beautiful, that we that it reflects the glory of God, that we we shouldn't mistake that the glory that we see in creation for God's glory Himself, but seeing it as pointing towards the glory of God. And so, I think uh, there's so many uh, beautiful aspects of, of of the physical world that that can inspire us and and, and see that there must be something transcendent uh, holding everything in being. Paolo, you
1: actually uh, had been working as a physicist for a while before coming back to faith. I'm curious how you would tackle this question. <laughs> Did your <laughs> studying of, of cosmology help you to find God?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a excellent question, complicated um I don't know if we will have time, I will go a bit more personal, but I think that science and faith, and I speak about faith, not religion, they should dance together because they are distinguished. They are not the same thing. They use different languages. They have many aspects in common, but they need to be harmonized together. And the best image I can offer is when two people dance together. So they are dancing together, they talk to each other, they look at each other, they have a great intimacy and also friendships or love. And this is the way how to proceed, having science and faith, dancing with each other.
0: What a beautiful simile.
3: (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) You're very poetic, Paolo. (laughs) Yes, I am. All, All the physicists are very poetic, I'm sure about that.
2: Professor Chaloud. I'm, I'm I'm not sure I can um, match uh, <laughs> poetry, but uh, I, I think it's a it's a great privilege to work on cosmology. Um, it the the harmony and beauty of the universe it, uh, doesn't undermine my faith; it it confirms it. We we live in a in intelligible universe. You know, Dirac once said, um, the Nobel Prize winner Dirac um, said that uh, God must be a mathematician of the highest order. And so we, we, we're uncovering. And, uh, you, you know, if you come from this worldview, then we're uncovering, uh, we're, we're following in the footsteps of the creator and uh, uncovering wonderful things about our very ancient, our very huge universe, which makes us feel very humble. Um, but also, uh, you know, the, the rich tapestry of cosmic history um, with all these finely balanced and competing mechanisms that lead to the possibility of life on Earth. And so, so you know, there's a there's a rich history of Christians making wonderful contributions to science, like um, Newton, Galileo, and, uh, and Faraday, Maxwell, and uh, Lemaitre, of course, in cosmology. And I, I like this quote from Maxwell, who says, "I think Christians whose minds are scientific are bound to study science, that their view of the glory of God may be as extensive as their being is capable." And so. That's the exalted idea. I mean, it's great fun to go to work and and to play with these theories of the universe. Uh, But the practicalities are more mundane and uh, we we all use the same mathematical tools and observational tools, um, whatever our philosophical viewpoint. And in lockdown, it's it's quite a challenge with all the administrative and teaching duties that we have. But one tries to continue to treat colleagues with respect, to keep up with research students and to find uh, time for research activities. And we we look forward to better times when uh, this lockdown is over and we can all meet together and have coffee and discuss the mysteries of the universe. And uh, so, uh, and it's it's great to have a Christian hope beyond the troubles of this world. And uh, in particular, the Lemaître's slow fading of the suns in, in our universe. So um, I'm very pleased to be here. And so thanks for having me as well.
0: 100% agree, looking you know, to, to better times. I've got a, f- a follow up question for you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Professor Sheller. You, you spoke about colleagues, and in your biography, we mentioned that Professor Hawking was your PhD supervisor and then long standing colleague. How do your views about the universe differ from those of Professor Stephen Hawking since he was regarded as a prominent atheist?
2: Ah, well, that's an interesting question to finish uh, with. Um, So, so, um, well, I was, of course, it was a great privilege to work with Stephen Hawking because, you know, he was one of the the great physicists of our time. And so it was wonderful to, to see the way he thought about physics, the way he he, he cut to the core of a problem and thought about things um, very geometrically, actually, because he, he couldn't do the long calculations. Um, and so th- this incisive insight was wonderful. And of course, he was a unique individual because of his determination in the face of, of grave difficulties. And um, it, it was a very, very difficult to feel sorry for yourself when you were working with Stephen, because his circumstances were so much more difficult. So, uh, it, but it's an interesting question, um, because, you, you know, how different was Stephen's view to the, to the actual Christian theology about the, the universe? And, and Stephen often referred to, to uh, God in his books, surprisingly. Um, he said that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for a, an ultimate theory of everything, and because then we'll know the mind of God, and um, he 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 had a quest for absolute truth, and, um, and uh, the, which was this theory of everything, this understanding of the the structure of the mathematical structure of the universe. It's very similar to Einstein's view that um, uh, you, you know we're, we're, we're looking for um, a, a sort of God of the new physics. And um Stephen said, you can call the laws of science God if you like, but it's not a personal God you can pray to. So you y- you have to think this is almost a halfway house to theism. It's not that far away. Um and so but it's an argument about whether God is personal or impersonal. Is God just a mathematician? Or or is there more to, to God's character? Is there more Something transcendent, a God who wants to reveal Himself to us, or uh, you know, relate to us in some way, and so, so that's so. Stephen stops there, you know, f- from going on to the traditional Judeo-Christian view. But I, you know, it's an interesting halfway house, and uh, I, I, I suppose that's uh, where I'll leave it. Thanks.
1: Thank you. It, I find it fascinating that you mentioned uh, the mind. Of God, be because you know this kind of idea of logos is also present in Christianity, as you mentioned, right? So it almost alluding to the the second person of Trinity, uh, that kind of you know through Him all things were created. So it's 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 incredible, clo- incredibly close, you know, the idea of creation and then the mind of God. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, thank you so very much. It was really fascinating. I think Marta, we should be probably wrapping up now.
0: <laughs> Agreed. So I'm going to throw a challenge out there. In one, one word, only one word, what can our listeners take away?
1: You probably need one sentence, like what the, what the listeners can take away. Uh, home, home message.
4: <laughs> take home message, sorry. Well, I'd say that uh, creation reveals the glory of God.
2: Uh, uh, what about wonder and curiosity? That's two words.
3: It's almost okay. like a
1: title for the next episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Agreed.
3: I will quote the same off. Professor Shellard curiosity and wonder to make it different in a different (laughs) order, but yeah.
1: And then we have poetry again. (laughs) 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 Beauty, beauty.
0: Definitely. Once again, only gratitude in our hearts, Professor Shellard, It's been riveting, that's my one word for this episode, riveting. You have been accommodating and gracious in ways we couldn't have expected. We say thank you as well, but not goodbye to Father Robert and Brother Paola, who will be joining us in more episodes of our show. To our listeners, thank you so much for being with us and being a part of Radio Maria England Science and Faith. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is Marta speaking.
1: And this is Sean speaking. See you next time for the next episode. God bless.